Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Excellent. I'm uh, happy to have you both on here, and I'm pretty excited to uh, dive into a conversation here about a couple of different topics. Uh, The first of those that I was hoping to bring up is this uh, kind of current event thread about Facebook and its ever-happening problems with political communication on its platform. Um, For folks that aren't caught up on it, uh, Facebook's been going through some trials and tribulations about the way it's handling uh, political ads in particular. Uh, For instance, they decided to add some fact-checking on their platform for advertising in particular, but that does not extend to politicians on the platform. And that goes from the federal level down through even like regional, county, city candidates and the like. Going on from that, uh, earlier this month, a memo was surfaced from uh, Andrew Bosworth, who's the head of virtual reality and augmented reality at Facebook, warning that they shouldn't tilt the scales against Trump in the upcoming cycle. And then adding to that again, late last year, uh, there was the revelation that uh, Trump and Zuckerberg had met privately twice. All this kind of builds some context for this kind of interesting and murky situation the organization finds itself in, in its position in the political landscape. Uh, Leah, do you have any like kind of, I guess, like initial reactions to to that uh, event as it's been playing out? Um, for me, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, I, and to a certain extent, I don't know. Um, I feel like there isn't necessarily the proper, um, understanding on like by like a a government or a law, um, standard on what, how data and technology plays a role in right now. So it's like, you know, I mean, we have like, you know, these rules that now companies like Facebook are essentially setting themselves and there's no, there's no standard that we can necessarily hold them to. Um, so we're kind of forced to just be like, just kind of let them do whatever. And, and that's something that I think is, I think the first thing we should do is kind of, you know, figure out, okay, let's, let's educate government and bring up government saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is what the effect like what data has to offer and what what technology has to offer and and then and from there i think we'll, we'll be able to forge a path that way so the federal trade commission is the main agency uh, responsible for regulating um a lot of this stuff and um you know they've been kind of saying that and pointing to that as the main reason why they're not um, doing more on it, but even in areas where they do have very clear laws, regulations, and staff to regulate, um, for example, the Ch- Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, COPA, gives them a lot of power to um, fine and regulate and um, enforce agencies, and they're still not fully enforcing the regulations that they have. So, for example, um, I'm closely following. Chopra's, he's one of the commissioners, um, and he's been dissenting on a lot of the uh, opinions lately, pointing out that, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that they're going after Google or Facebook for, they're not even clawing back uh, 
finds that meet the profit that the uh, companies made. Um, so for example, like YouTube was like baiting, I mean, Chopra tweeted this, which is pretty cool. Uh, YouTube was baiting kids with nursery rhymes, cartoons, and more to feed its massively profitable behavioral advertising business and, and selling that advertising data. Um, it was very lucrative and it was illegal and they really you know, barely scratch the surface in finding and enforcing them. So I think it's a lot less about educating government or, um, you know, recruiting the right people, even though that's always very important and government needs more tech folks. But um, there also needs to be a will to really go after these companies when they're fully, clearly breaking the laws. And we're still not even doing that. Also, on another angle, like I believe that, you know, it's kind of too late for this election to really hope for much uh, on this front. And that's why I believe that we need to run a candidate who can truly build a grassroots movement. And that means having people calling, having actual real humans knocking on doors and talking and having conversations with people. You need someone who's getting endorsements from massive movements of people like Sunrise Movement and stuff. So um, we just like, we all really need to be out there knocking on doors and learning how to organize because even if Democrats win, we're still going to need to keep doing that to hold people accountable and to push agencies to really enforce the law. Something you mentioned in there, that um, idea about like enforcing the existing laws, because as you mentioned, like these, these companies are breaking existing laws, but the consequences are either small where they're still making a profit or they don't happen at all. Uh, in that uh, dissent that you mentioned in, in your answer, one of the things that I thought came out of that's like as a theme that's interesting there is this idea that the FTC is treating larger organizations much differently than smaller ones. Whereas there might've been instances where they were able to say, go and file suit against a smaller organization with, you know, principles as defendants. And they like go through and they actually like claw back profits from that organization. But then you take an organization like Google or like Facebook that are much larger and maybe some of it is like some fear of the legal defense they could maintain. Uh, I'm not sure if that's like the why, but it, it does seem like there is a different approach taken. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's a lot easier to go after the little guys than it is. Um, and you see that all across government. I mean, you see that the IRS has been saying um, they really only go after, um, you know, not rich people because they're easier and they have the resources to go after them. The Federal Election Commission, unfortunately, doesn't have the resources or the commissioners to even vote on enforcing really big campaign finance violations. So you see like huge campaigns get away with breaking laws constantly and small campaigns um, get, you know, a lot of fines. So yeah, I think it's, you know, we need a lot of political will and um, we need like a fully staffed commission at the Federal Election Commission and, and like different things um, to be able to even start scratching the surface on this. Uh, we have a question. Uh, somebody was asking what level of enforcement would be needed. I guess we kind of got into that. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say start with like at least clawing back enough to like... Um, get at the profits they made for that, make it hurt for the future, hold actual individuals accountable for breaking the law. Um, there were a lot of folks who, like right up to the top, Sheryl Sandberg, who signed off on a lot of illegal behavior and um, they, you know, nothing happened to them. We need to have fines that really make it hurt and make them remember and really send a message that we will be enforcing the law. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, accountability, 
Yeah, that's one. I, I think that making it hard, especially where, you know, I mean, yeah, holding accountable people accountable is one thing, but you know, overall as a company, right? We, I think that they should like the whole company kind of should feel it saying, okay, Hey, like this is something that is not okay, no matter who it is. Uh, and I think that that one sends a message to a particular company, but also depending on the size of that company, it sends a message to almost the industry saying that it's not okay. Well, and holding individual actors accountable too. Like people need to know that like you, just because you're at a huge company and have great lawyers, um, right. you're not just protected from breaking the law. Like you right. will be hold, held accountable for approving law breaking. Right. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely true. Because I, I think what tends to happen when with those things being absent is companies either like create a fund and set money aside for the potential damages and then they still make a profit. And then the folks that did the act, will, well, they'll do it again because it worked and they made a profit and their shareholders are happy. Um, so right, I, think, right. I think you're both absolutely right. Like that, that type of culture does need to change for us to see wholesale change at a larger level. Yeah, yeah make it hurt enough that the shareholders care. Right. And I, I think, uh, so I think we, we've talked a bit about, I guess, like the existing laws and how they're being broken and a bit about maybe like our, our personal expectations about what that should look like. Uh, beyond what it currently exists, do you, do you all have opinions on if there should be like additional regulation on that talks about like the responsibility a platform has, whether it's around the risk of um, uh, like, for example, like with Google and YouTube without with content that's directly related to children or in the political sphere, like the messaging that's being placed on a platform. Essentially, like how much responsibility should we be putting on the whole, the runner of the platform on the things that are posted on the platform? First, I'll say I'm not an expert on this. And I think like one of the most important things is um, to really incorporate the communities that are affected by this stuff when you're designing any kind of laws or enforcements. Like if you look at, for example, SESTA-FOSTA, um, which you know, had a good idea of going after um, child prostitution rings and um, stuff, but it's really ended up making, um, really harming the um, sex worker community and um, making them a lot less safe. You know, they, it's a lot harder for them to vet uh, clients or share information about clients or promote their work um, in a safe place so they don't have to literally go out on the street um, and, and potentially encounter a lot of violence. So I, that's where I would start is not repeating the mistakes of something like SESTA-FOSTA by actually talking to the communities affected by this. I feel like whatever decision platform because i because i don't know because like you know twitter's like you know twitter is multiple times have said that they don't want to be the ones who censor or do anything they just kind of provide the platform which i i i mean again like like i said i'm not at all an expert on this so i, I mean, my opinion is just you know whatever they decide I, I think it should be more of like a hey this applies to everyone don't you know, you can't, I mean, when you, when you go into like picking and choosing at that, that point, that's the, that's, I guess the line where I would draw. I think also, um, was it Sasha Baron Cohen um, had a really great um, speech on this where he talked about like, you know, Facebook is just like, we're not, it's not up to us. We don't have to, you know, we're a business. And he was pointing out that like, if you ran a business, like a restaurant, you would not be required to allow a Nazi to run around and harass your, co your you know, your, your customers and stuff. So like, I think like the more we can like 
like what he's doing to make like real life examples and like really show the kind of bullshit and hypocrisy that um, these huge companies are relying upon to get away with this stuff and excuse themselves from any responsibility for the um, potential disaster they're <laughs> wreaking across um, communities um, and, and help they're providing to Nazi and fascism um, and its spread around the world is uh, important. I really like the, the mention of the like real world analogies because I, I think if you're not in the the existing conversation or it's not a thing that you regularly follow it probably feels very abstract to you like unless you're on twitter all the time and like running into that type of messaging or on facebook and like you you like understand it's there or even on the like google explanation like if you understand like what it means to have information sold to like a third party like that's all stuff that you can't really like see it touch it you don't really under, like you don't feel the impact immediately it's something that maybe you feel later through exposure or you find out later like that your information was sold to somebody. Um, so I, I really, I really like that, that thought of trying to tie it to something that's a bit more relatable. Yeah. I mean, I think communication on this stuff is key. And like, um, I think it's also, you know, it's easy to like think like how the heck would I do that? It seems enormous. Like it seems like a huge challenge, but like these companies know how to cope with this stuff. They know how to handle this stuff. Like they've been doing it um, to prevent women's nipples on their platforms for years and years and years. Right. And they have huge groups of people enforcing that. So I think, um, but like that's also built on the backs of, um, uh, underpaid staffers who are getting PTSD from like looking at violent videos all the time and stuff. So there it's, it's challenging and it's difficult, but like they definitely know a lot of obvious ways um, and could be doing far, far more than they are now. We're not expecting perfection, but we are asking them to just fucking try a, a tiny bit. <laughs> so I, I think something that is intertwined in what we've been talking about is also the amount of power that these organizations seem to hold now over our communications as like more and more people use one of these platforms to either find out what's going on in the world, communicate with loved ones, all that sort of thing. And of course that when you talk about power, especially in something like communications, that can also lead to conversations about need to trust, which I think is why you see like uh, folks at the federal level looking into these, these platforms from that perspective do y'all have like a perspective on uh, that, that kind of relationship? Like, do, are these companies getting too much influence, too much power over the way we communicate? Uh, yes. I, yes, hundred um, percent. I think that, you know, as I, I think it's more of um, it's not, it's not the fact that like their software or whatever is, is what people are choosing. It's the fact of that. They're uh, that a lot of like, uh, supplemental like like google's like over like their phones right they kind of took over you know selling phones and like apple's done apple is known to do that or they create their own ecosystem and and it's very it's a very high barrier to entry if you're not buying their particular thing so i think it's i think it's more than just the way we communicate i think they're going for just overall like how we live our lives and i think that's i don't know it, it almost seems like like legally it doesn't look like a monopoly but it's almost like a monopoly on your life where you're basically now being forced to adopt a lot of just whatever, like you buy one, one thing and then you're, you're kind of screwed in this one ecosystem where you can't leave or do anything else without, without trying, without making it um, hard to leave. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, again, like getting back to like kind of the government angle, like we really need leadership in these agencies that is willing to actually go after corporations and like actually um, uh, make them um, follow the law and pay when they don't. And like, we just don't have that right now. When you look at like agencies responsible for enforcing the monopolies, I mean, these companies absolutely are monopolies and like maybe they do need to be broken up, but I don't know. I'm not an expert in that, but like um, if you look at the national labor relations board, like they are, largely enforcing complaints of white male discrimination at this point and not really protecting the workers at these agencies and stuff. So I think um, like all across um, government, we need leadership that um, is willing to like articulate the companies that are harming us and go after them in ways that actually make them learn. Do you want to switch to another topic? We could talk about IRS a little bit. Um, yeah, I think it's really good timing to talk about kind of IRS. Yeah. yeah. So I think this really ties into what we we're talking about, about like agency leadership, um, being willing to push back against corporations. And this is a really exciting development that um, I think had to make its way into the court uh, before it was it finally broke through. But the IRS had this very long agreement um, with uh, the major tax prep organizations like TurboTax and it's funny because in government, a lot of times when people talk about um, improving the user experience of a form or um, improving access to something, they often point to uh, TurboTax as like an example of like a great, uh, like example of a form experience. But those companies actively lobbied and um, pushed strongly to prevent the IRS from giving you any a simpler experience um, in like I think it's also a bad example because um, making forms easier is really not necessarily the best way to improve uh, your experience with the government I mean in a lot of cases we can just obviate them and get rid of them entirely so for example the IRS already knows automatically pretty much everything that you should be paying and could just send you an, a nearly completed tax form that you can correct or add deductions to um, California tested this out and it was very successful but then got killed because of lobbying like companies like into it who make TurboTax. And so um, this new development um, drops that agreement because a lot of these companies were not really keeping up their side of the bargain. And um, part of what they were supposed to be doing was providing a middle and low income folks with free um, access to their tools. And they were specifically trying to hide them from Google, trying to um, make it much harder to actually access and use them. It's a two decade old agreement in the industry had it like they had with industry and um so i'm excited to see and it's been really barring irs from making a, a lot more like a lot of different kinds of improvements so i'm really excited to see where this leads it's also the result of some significant um investigative reporting by ProPublica. so definitely check out their recent writing on that for sure and i, I think we'll uh, we'll have to go ahead and make sure that that piece is linked in the uh, podcast episode description when it's released. It, that's a good read. Uh, one of the things that I, I took from that piece that is part of that agreement that I think is really cool, although it sounds like a small thing, is that there's some like naming convention requirements like that, like the free programs have to be named like roughly a similar thing across different uh, companies' implementations. Because as a user of tax software, I know one thing that confuses the crap out of me often is like the different editions that they then 
have very confusing communication about like what you're paying for versus what you're not. And then all of a sudden you get to the end and they're like, give us a bunch of money, Ryan. We did things that you promised to pay us for. And it's, it's uh, it can be very confusing. I can only imagine like, and crap, I, you know, I work with computers for a living. So I, I can't imagine what it's like if, you know, you're not using software all that often that you're into this tool. And yeah, I just imagine it's confusing. Yeah. I mean, that's their, right. Capitalist going to capital. So like, that's always going to be their goal, right. Is to like push you into paying more for things or uh, making it seem a lot more complicated than it actually is. So that uh, you think you got to pay them more for all kinds of different things when um, really these things could be a lot simpler without their lobbying. Oh, a question to, to clarify. So is this, um, is this mostly like an agreement as far as like the free edition goes where others would provide that or did the government have to build something as, as part of this as well? Um, so it, um, it changed, well, it officially ruled that um, these companies can no longer hide or ban the robots.txt um, on their site um, so that these, these still need to be available and the IRS is free to start making the, uh, and improving uh, the forms and, and so TBD, <laughs> you know, it's always, it's, it's, um, it's tough, but there's a lot of great folks um, in IRS over on tech or folks who have like tried to work on that and weren't able to because of these restrictions and had to leave. Um, and so I'm really excited to see, I mean, I've already seen a flurry across civic tech of folks just absolutely thrilled or who had tried to work on this in some way or another in the past and um, the projects got stymied. So um, we'll see. Um, keep an eye on it. That is really cool to hear. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that that allotment was made. I, I think like the, the idea of like getting forms right is definitely a space where I think there's a lot of folks out there that are definitely willing to pitch in. So it's, it's, that's exciting news. Yeah. But I mean, again, my big uh, mission is kill all forms, right? Like uh, universality of programs is the future of government. Um, and so like um, the, the, you know, because every time you put restrictions on who can access something or who um, qualifies to receive a benefit, you make you create a government monstrosity that is there then responsible for uh, making sure you're the right person who gets it or making sure you're the right person um, who applied and uh, I mean obviously we want to make sure you are who you say you are but like um, the more that we can just tax the billionaires and provide these programs to everyone without forcing people to go through endless hoops or hire a lawyer to help them figure out how to go through the process um, or hire, you know, once they fall through the cracks, it's usually only the folks who can afford a lawyer or who already have some kind of representation, like the veteran service organizations that will like really help them get through and um, get the benefit that they deserve and need. So kill all forms. <laughs> yeah. Also, yes, it's quite terrible. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me. You know, and I'm, yeah, I'm, like, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'm... I'm newly grad, so I'm like I'm new to all this, and I'm, you know, I've been I've been doing all my research, and it's just it doesn't, you know, and they know, and and they 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 are the ones who tell you to do it this way. Yeah, um, like Thayer was just saying in the comments. Sorry if I'm screwing up your name, but um, like how terrible is it if you mess up on the form they send you, and then um, you can be fined and punished for screwing up when they already know how to do it. Um, and I think that's a good point. Like. Um, that oftentimes like 
forms are really, no matter how easy you make them, like, and they rarely are easy, um, people are always going to mess up because they're not intuitive or um, they didn't have the right information available to them at the time that they were trying to complete the form or something. And so like folks are constantly falling through the cracks or, or having things getting endlessly delayed. Uh, and I think a lot of folks don't think about all of that monstrosity that has to get built when you put like small restrictions on who can access things like free student loans or, um, or I mean, student loan forgiveness or other benefits, healthcare. You know, I apologize if this comment is a bit beating on a dead horse, but I sometimes worry about with with forms and and maybe this is like a thing that there's like an analog to public meetings to where it's like sometimes a form is there to be helpful or a meeting is there to be helpful and we actually want you to succeed at it. And sometimes the form or public meeting is a thing that we just sort of threw out there so we could say we had it. We don't actually expect you to get past it. It's like meant to be like a gate to keep folks from getting to the thing that they are entitled to get to. So, so I, I'm definitely behind your, your kill forms mantra because I think that's a rather prevalent behavior, unfortunately. So if, if y'all feel comfortable... Just... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was oh, going to okay. say, do you want to just kind of go through some random civic tech news or... <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I, I actually saw uh, something that's coming up soon if, if we want to mention a bit for folks that aren't uh, following along. Is I see in your notes here you have uh, some mention of being excited about Summit things, the Code for America Summit. Would you all like to, to chat about that for a minute? Um, yeah. So uh, Code for America Summit is the big gathering of all the civic tech people, ideally from all different levels. And one of my, the reasons I love it so much is that it usually brings folks um, from state, local, municipal governments um, and the federal government, um, folks who have, you know, new startups in this space, um, uh, there's usually not that many of the like huge uh, old beltway bandits um, and a lot of the brigades code for America, like the volunteers and folks. And uh, it's a really great opportunity to just see, like we never get to see everyone, you know, all in one place. Cause by definition, we're across the country working for different governments all across the country. And so it's a really great opportunity to like catch up and, and get the pulse of like what's going on in civic tech. And um <laughs> my my talk was accepted so um we're going to be giving a talk about the program that we built out at the va um on you know we launched va.gov with user-centered design and agile and um all the lovely things and um then we realized you know we really needed to scale up quickly to maintain control over the site and to keep up with um all the additional benefits we needed to build um, to support veterans. So we built this program that is now about eight teams that support the 15 teams who are currently building on VA.gov. Um, we do all the, we, we, I just left, but we do all the onboarding and um, we do all the code and quality and design reviews and support and um, help manage the infrastructure. Uh, we manage all the regulatory compliance and ensure and train folks in that. Um, and um, so what I'm excited to mostly talk about is, you know, not just this is a, a program, you should copy it because it's massive and, and uh, I don't know how many folks are trying to build out such a huge thing, but kind of talking through um, how we used agile and user-centered design on ourselves as we were developing this to figure out, you know, how do we do this? Because uh, we've had to change it a lot over the last year um, and adjust and reorg and, um, 
you know, use the methodologies we know work for building public services on ourselves to figure out how to do this thing and, and everything with the idea of scaling eventually. So the idea is not always to have, you know, half the teams that are, that we're supporting be, you know, part of the support, but um, ultimately build out something that is much more scalable for more and more and more teams. I, I too am excited for the event yeah. uh, for a lot of the reasons you talked about. Uh, it is interesting, like, there's that kind of, like, group of people that you really, that's when you see them, is at these conferences, and that's, like, how those networks stay there. Uh, I am not going to give a talk, though one of the things I'm hoping to do uh, on behalf of this program is try to sneak in some interviews with folks. So I'm going to do a shameless call to action here. If you are going to Summit and you're listening to this and you're, like, following along here and you want to talk to Civic Tech Chat, uh, feel free to get in contact with us and uh, maybe we can get your story in while we're there. This event has always been, I mean, this is my third summit I'm going to, and it's always been, you know, I, I come from a brigade volunteer background. I, I mean, I'm mostly, I even, I even, even now I work in, in the private sector and it's, it's something that it really opened up a whole world to me. So, um, I, you know, I went from, oh, hey, look, there's some people who are trying to do something to, oh my gosh, there's like a whole movement of people everywhere. And it was, it was, it's really, it's really, the, and my first, the, the first one was really eye-opener and I, I just absolutely loved it. And yeah, the people, I mean, it's, you know, some, sometimes I, you know, I say, it's like, you know, I look forward to these events because a lot of times when you're, you know, as brigade, when we're working on just as volunteers, there's a lot of people who, really don't share the same mindset they're kind of they have their own agenda or whatever trying to do working with us um but then you go to you go to these events and it's all the same people you know just people who are just interested trying to make government better and and trying to just help help people and it's just it's so refreshing it kind of like relights the the fire slash passion for for what we do here so yeah i love it yeah, and it kind of helps you remind reminds you like I'm not crazy, I'm not failing. Like this is hard. Yeah. Everyone has challenges. Like yeah, yeah, it's good to get together. Um, is there like are you going to be doing extra stuff for the brigade? Or I think I saw that the brigades are not doing like their own breakout thing this year. Oh really? I thought that we are. Or it's like so, not a separate day, maybe. Yeah. So usually, so Wednesday, so it's a three day event, right? So. On Wednesday, it's like just workshops that are um, outside of just the, the main festivities. Um, and that, but I think, I wasn't sure. I, I, the last time I heard, we, we usually have like a brigade day where we have our own workshop that we go to and we kind of just like share ideas. Um, so I believe that's still happening this year. I have not heard okay. otherwise. Um, but yeah, I mean. I mean, either way, even even just outside of the world of brigades, I mean, it's just really, a uh, really good experience. So, for me, I, I, I've been, so I, I've recently, so for the last year, I've been captain in my brigade, and I, for me, my biggest focus and one of the things that I'll be doing with Beta NYC, hopefully, I don't, I don't, I'm still talking to them, but um they're having they want to have a session on or they're having a session on like brigade management and how um like fundraising and like and and like overall like how to how running a brigade works and for so i'll pro, i'll hopefully be on it um so maybe i'll be there 
Um, but except for that, no, I'm not doing anything else. I'm just there to take it all in. That uh, that sounds like a good session, though. I I think sometimes folks don't realize that like running a brigade is it, like you're running a small nonprofit, really. So there's like a lot of a lot of things to to learn, a lot of skills to pick up. Right. So it's cool. To, it's cool to hear that there's a the thing to help out with that. Yeah. yeah, I'm a little curious. Is that like that kind of like managing it? Is that one of the biggest challenges the brigades are focusing on right now? Like, um, are there any other things y'all are talking about? Yeah. So managing a brigade. I mean, yes. It's it's essentially you want to you want to kind of look at it. Or at least the way I look at it is like be, almost we're like consultants to government or nonprofits or whoever we're working with. Uh, we're coming in, we're working on projects. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's honestly a, it's, it's a full-time job that you're, you're there. And a lot of times, I mean, you're meeting with clients who are government who are, who are like, Hey, you know, I'm, this is, this is when I'm, this is my work time. So I have to come meet you. And, and, and some people, some of the bigger, you know, brigades are, are, are able to, to handle that. But then like, like our brigade, we're small. Like I still work a full-time 40 hour uh, a week job so now i have to like kind of come outside of that job take these meetings during the day some mostly during the evenings and then we have to also um design you know and then we have to like we have to have a team that designs sites so i feel like it almost feels like a full-time job um so but it's um so i feel i feel like that's where the real difficulty comes in running a brigade is that you have to worry about finances you have to you know for certain for certain things obviously a lot of we get a lot of in-kind donations a lot of like it's easier for a nonprofit, but at the same time we're like like for us like for the smaller brigades it's we're running on maybe like a couple donations a year of like less than a thousand dollars so it's like how do we how do we host events how where do we host them how do we get that how do we you know get food for certain events? How do we, you know, get marketing for certain events? And we're doing all this on our free time. So it's, it's, it's a time commitment. And, and, and that's, um, and, and especially for me, you know, I, I came in, you know, I, like I said, I'm a recent college grad. I'm a computer science. Like I, like I've grown up being a nerd. Like I play video games and, and, and code. And, you know, so coming into a whole business world of, 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 of like how, 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 how to run a business or a nonprofit is just, it's been a learning curve. It's a lot. I remember when I was leading the Code for DC brigade many years ago, I just kept having this overwhelming feeling like, God, there would be so much I could do if I could just take like a month off work or something and like work on this, you know, like. Exactly. It's hard. Yeah. I I can echo that feel. Sometimes I think of that with Code for Chicago. It's like, ah, I could just like dedicate some time, like maybe you could get the ball to a point. I, out of curiosity, since both of you also have experience with this, do you feel like that, whether it's like the skills being picked up or just like tools to help struggle through these things, do you think those things are available in a, like an adequate fashion? Yes, only because we are communicate. I mean, we, we know the importance of communication, right? The whole network can talk to each other. We have a full on Slack. We have, you know, we can, we can hit each other up one-on-one. Um, and I feel like, I feel like a, there would be a good use of a central like repository of assets or, or just like ideas of people have. And we do, we have a discourse and, 
and there's a lot a lot of there but just something that something like you don't really go ask for you kind of just go like um look up saying hey you know especially for a lot of like documents a lot of templates so how do we you know how do we approach how do we send emails out to a protect a potential funder or something like that or 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 marketing in a sense so things like that um i think that if you if you ask it will be given is there i don't know if it's there if you don't ask like if you don't know who to go talk to i think it's it can be kind of hard to to find that yeah i mean i remember one thing that was always hard that i've heard is still kind of hard is um leadership transitions um like mm -hmm. it's and you know just um doing something at so much at the at through volunteering not getting paid at all for it is will always kind of be fraught um and you know lead to burnout for folks because you're you know working more than 40 hours a week which is already too many hours in my opinion so like yeah i mean i think that's still a big challenge um but it's also like one of the coolest things you can do yeah. as a volunteer if you want to kind of level up your current skills or get to know your, your local government or people in your community who care about local government and tech and design. So I don't know. They've got a lot of smart folks and like, especially across the country, really dedicated, awesome folks who are working on it. Um, but it's also like, what, like 50,000 volunteers and like a five person team that's actually paid to at CFA to to manage it like that team does amazing stuff but I think they should be a lot bigger <laughs> yeah given how big the program is what do you think about this Ryan so I I think I would, I would echo a lot of what you already said so I want like re retread on that ground um although the, the idea of like knowing where stuff is though uh I will re I guess retread on that a little bit because I think that is always an issue uh like trying to socialize information it's like thing that a lot of efforts put into i know we try to do it in a number of different communication mediums but uh, i think that's like always going to be a struggle yeah and then and the other like i guess like this is more like a step in the process but i think i'm always thinking about and i think other brigades think about this too and this is only like maybe partially related to the question i asked is uh, the idea of like onboarding folks into the brigade and like trying to then maintain an interest level. Yeah. It's, it can be hard if you don't like have that really fleshed out for your organization. And in part because of some of the things like Leo was expressing, like even people that are volunteering, oftentimes, you know, they're already working 40 hours a week doing job thing. And now they're coming to your group with their free time and you know, they're, they're lending it to you. So if, so if, if you have no smooth way on there in a way that, makes things seem engaging. It can be tough to keep folks around. Yes, I agree 100%. That's actually a resource that I would love to get from other brigades um, as well. It's just like, just like what they think about it because retaining re retention of members is something that, I don't know, I feel like to a certain extent it's unique to your community um, or, or it's kind of unique to the city. Um, but at the same time, it can definitely be um, quite similar. And getting those metrics, okay, what is your community like? How do you, like, you know, 
for me, it's like I had to kind of feel it out. Just be like, okay, you know, we went through a lot of people who would just show up and never come back. And then I would message them and I'd see them at other events and be like, hey, it's like, what's up? And, you know, I mean, I would get some feedback, but it's really just that feedback that uh, I, I I went through that that we kind of figured out a way where people people were more um, more willing to stay and stick around. That reminds me another thing, since we're talking, speaking of like leave and pay, um, one thing that I'm kind of excited about is that the federal government now has parental leave. So if you didn't know uh, until now, we had zero leave. Uh, if you have a kid, um, you could take your, your personal leave or you could possibly take some sick leave maybe. Um, but they just amended the Family Medical Leave Act um, so it, you, we get 12 weeks off if you have a kid and be, what's so cool about the fact that they amended that act is that it also covers adoption, fostering, or serious health conditions for you or your family. So I, I feel like a lot of people were saying, you know, um, oh, now I could actually work in the federal government and stay because uh, I had this and I was actually thinking like, oh, maybe I could have a kid. <laughs> it's a little crazy, but, um. And fun DC rumor, which I've heard some pretty good from some pretty good sources that uh, we got this because the Trump administration was willing to negotiate pretty much anything to get Space Force, um, which is really just a rework uh, so <laughs> yeah. far. So it's, it's not even like a big new thing necessarily. So that is exciting. I think it's like well worth a trade because I think Space Force yeah. is really just like some stations and places like Greenland that monitor satellites pretty much right yeah. like plus I, I feel like it's like win-win for for us hopefully, all like we hopefully get, i hope it stays to that <laughs> right i mean we get that we get leave which is great and we also get something we can joke about incessantly so i mean <laughs> i feel like it's win-win for us yeah yeah hopefully i mean i i really don't hope that it doesn't grow because i don't know i uh, it was a quote i think jeff bezos was talking about how he wanted all manufacturing to go to space and and earth become com- like rezoned completely to be residential which i don't understand i <laughs> i don't get why what he means by that or what how that's going to happen but i have a feeling that space force I will think- have a thing part of that interesting yeah i mean i feel like a lot of this is just related to like billionaires or like um yeah. the, you know we're not going to cut back on emissions or uh, do anything to combat climate change. So we're probably going to need a new planet. So <laughs> let's start building out in space. Right. Yeah. Like that's what a lot of them are focused on Elon Musk. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's madness. It really <laughs> and it's is. terrifying because it, yeah, this is really is. our only planet. It, it's, it's, it just sounds so much like eccentric billionaire idea that they thought of while they were in their like mountain fortress stroking a cat <laughs> yeah. in like a large leather chair. Like, yes, we can build everything in space. <laughs> like, what is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. We'll be fine. And what about the rest of us who are stuck here? <laughs> or isn't there we're a, uh, that isn't there like a dystopian? Jobs. Oh, right. <laughs> isn't there like a dystopian sci-fi story about this where like, all of the wealthy billionaires go up into the like the upper atmosphere and leave all of us regular folks down on the planet to suffer or something. I can't remember the title, but oh, is there? I, oh, I, I think there's a lot of them. There's yeah. the Expanse, which is pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Actually, it might be good if they if if 
if all manufacturing goes to space, that means that we're no longer creating emissions in on Earth, right? So yeah. if it's possible, it's, it is technically could be good. I don't know how, how long it would be or, or, or if, it were, if it would work, but I mean, technically, I mean, there would be the, all the emissions would not be on Earth to where we possibly could go back to a cleaner, healthier Earth that we live on, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I just, I am not optimistic enough to believe that that's viable yeah. and also like, it's still going to require a ton of people. Like, I don't care True. how great he thinks he is at building his like drone delivery robots. <laughs> like, I don't see a future in which we can manufacture all this stuff and like transport yeah. it back and forth without releasing a fuck ton of emissions like, right that's, that's true so but yeah po- pollution bad i agree on that. <laughs> yeah yeah and the, the back and forth is, a, is is a good point it does take a lot of energy to move stuff up to height atmosphere or to orbit so that's it probably true. would need some solution to that i am not qualified to propose one but yeah neither am i I can see that it's probably. Well, and are we assuming we're just going to like have a like population of people who are permanently stuck as like Amazon warehouse workers up in the sky? Oh. Like they're barely treating their workers here on the ground very well. That's like, true. What about when they don't have regulations or, you know, like. Yeah, it, no. Like, that would permanent make- population stuck in the sky. Like that's basically exactly the expanse. It's like yeah. we screwed up the earth, that new sci fi like that got picked up by Amazon. <laughs> ironically um, <laughs> yeah. the it's like earth is like kind of okay mostly underwater uh, most people have left for either mars or they're like working class schlubs who get treated like crap who are like the belters who are like out in the asteroid belt like manufacturing things like oh you know, that's like, it's just like t- yeah. like yeah he just re-upped the show and is like hey great idea i want a <laughs> class of people stuck on asteroids who i can treat like crap so I guess if you're out there and you're going to make a dystopian sci-fi story, I would ask that you put a disclaimer on the front that says, please don't take this as an idea. It is a dystopian sci-fi Not story. Not a recommendation. <laughs> Not a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing I was just going to put in real quick is that um, if you're going to CFA Summit, make sure you book your flight to leave straight to Austin and not home so that you come to South by Southwest, which starts the day, I think like the the last day of summit or right after that um, Ooh, they're trying Southwest. to build out a bunch more civic tech stuff and i'm in austin so come say hi to me um, <laughs> they're doing a the i think there's this group civic io which is uh like a lot of mayors south by southwest and our our mayor's office uh hosting like a pitch for 10k for your civic tech startup um oh interesting it's like one one thing so um, but even if that's not your thing, I've heard that they're explaining a bunch of the civic tech stuff at South by. So yeah, come say hi. I will show you where all the good tacos are. Awesome. Um, also speaking of events around summit, um, I think March 7th is open data day this year. Um, so I'm pretty sure a lot of brigades will be having events. Um, maybe even other organizations. Um, so that's also something um if if it's in your city to look for yeah doesn't beta nyc usually do something big for that yeah 
I know we're doing one like in, open data in week Saint or something. Louis. Noel's gonna kill me for butchering this. <laughs> uh, oh, here it is. Wait, no, I found it. Open data week 2020. February 29th through March 7th. So you could just have like a whole city yeah. tour of civic tech awesome events. That one is really awesome. You should check it out. It's called um, Open Data NYC. It's hosted yeah. by Beta NYC, the local brigade there. Yeah. Also, if you're in St. Louis, um, we are also hosting an event. It's not going to be a full week. It's, it's going to be a full day. <laughs> Um, but we are hosting an event for it. Come on by. Awesome. Uh, thank you both for sharing those, uh, those uh, events. It sounds like somebody, if they want to, they can plan a whole like civic tech vacation and just, and just do the tour. Oh, that would um, be great. Oh, <laughs> one more thing. I just remembered San Francisco Digital Service. They just started posting. They're expanding from like 25 to 40 people. Um, and there's a bunch, there's a lot of great folks. There's some folks from ETNF who went over there um, from Government Digital Service in the UK uh, who went over there. So um, they're hiring all the roles. And San Francisco is a city that really needs better public services. So be a part of that. They're doing it right. Awesome. So whether you wanted travel advice or you were looking for a job, you were just taken care of there in that. <laughs> in, that, in that time period there uh so b- before we uh wind up wrapping up here do you all have any more any more like little little nuggets or plugs we want to sneak in here before i don't think so just um if you're my friend or we've talked before uh, i just took three months off so uh hit me up i've got plenty of time on my hands and i want to catch up and f- learn more about what's going on in civic tech and possibly talk about it here so yeah i think i'm um Good. If you guys are new to the stream, we are. This is our first ever stream. Please hit the follow button. You'll get a notification when we go live, and you guys can come hang out with us. It'll be really fun. Agreed. I uh, I think we are going to uh, try to make this a regular thing. And uh, if for some reason you you did miss this, uh, this is also going to be released through the regular podcast things. So do make sure to check that out as well. Uh, Leah and Mohith, I want to thank you both for for hanging out here and being on the stream and looking forward to future conversations with y'all. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.